Blog Talk Radio. Wednesday night football's over. I'm sad. I know, right? Feel weird. <sighs> Curse ready, everybody. Sure. Your boy 3K here with Myson. Recapping the 2017 season. No more football for a long, 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 long time. Long. No boss. Long, 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 by far, yeah. bar none. What do you think about what do you think about the Super Bowl, dude? You know what, the Super Bowl was good. It was a good Super Bowl, probably. I think better than people because of Nick yeah. Foles. You know, like it's weird. Like people didn't expect it to be that good because of Nick Foles, but then it was that good yeah, because man. of Nick Foles. <laughs> it's crazy how that all happened. And then today you find out that the um, the the trick play drawn up for the the tight end pass to the quarterback is Nick Foles' call. <laughs> you know, so it's like it was a good, it was a good game, but Nick Foles really came to, came to bring it in. Got to got to tip your hat to him. You know, that's when it looked like it was all over for him. He's uh, now one of the hot hot Q, uh, QB commodities on the market. Well, he's not on the market, but he's going to be on the market because surely surely they're going to get some calls about him. So it, it, it's nice to see it all work out for him. What do you think? I thought the main thing was just the narrative that we had talked about all year, the idea that there was a new NFL coming. We talked about it when we played the Cowboys, when we played the Jaguars. Um, we kind of talked about it when we played the Seattle Seahawks there in week uh, 15. 15 or 16. Maybe it was 15. Uh, 15 because we had uh, Tennessee 16 and San Fran at the end. That idea of a new NFL, and, I, you know, this felt like maybe not the end of the Patriots, but you had, you had a clear marker of an old NFL team against a new one, albeit one without their new era quarterback, and the new era team won. And they did it by be- – when Tom Brady got the ball back, none of us would have been surprised if they went down the field and won the game. No. But they didn't. They didn't. And I mean, they last, last year, things well, that... he had a minute and 48, I think, when they yeah. tied it up. And that's what he does. So. <laughs> that's what you he know? does. And the fact that he didn't and they were, uh, you know, Philadelphia was able to get a Super Bowl, it just felt like uh, we're inching closer and closer to that new era becoming the current era and not necessarily a harbinger of something to come, but something that we're, you know, dealing with in uh, real time. You know, you, you kind of see the, the the changing of the guard right there firsthand. Yeah. You know, you're starting to see the Patriots, they're, they're coming to the end of their, their dynasty, Tom Brady's. 40 now. He says he wants to play for another five years, but even his dad says maybe one more year after next. His dad's giving him two years. Uh, Bill Belichick, he wanted to keep Jimmy Garoppolo because he's ready to move on from Brady because he thinks he's coming at the end of the road. And you know, with the, everything going on there, you know, it just seems like the that, that 
are finally crumbling, which, I mean, you're talking about 16, 17 years. <laughs> that's that's a hell of a run. But with the with them come falling down, someone has to step up and have to take the torch. And so it's interesting to see. It's interesting to see this wave of all these teams stepping up, the Rams being one of them, Jaguars. You see the Eagles making the turnaround and get back on course. The Chiefs have really been playing well in the last couple of years. Starting to see these teams just um, kind of step up, ready for the moment—the moment to see the opportunity for when the Patriots are, are no longer running running the show. <laughs> yeah, so, it, and you, you know, you got the Steelers, of course, but as Roethlisberger continues to go back and forth, with, will he retire? <laughs> will he die? Uh, I think the door is wide open for a lot of teams to have to step up. So, good Super Bowl, definitely like you said. Open it up for the next uh, next wave of next wave of teams, but that's it. That, 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 as good as as good as it was, I definitely think we're uh, we've got some things to look forward to with the Rams. You look at the way that the season ended for the Rams, a lot of awards winning. They had a sweep there at the show, didn't they? And deservedly so. I mean, there was none that I could argue with. I did tell you when we talked about MVP, I didn't. I thought. Gurley had an MVP quality season. I just didn't think they'd give it to him. And lo yeah. and behold, what are you gonna, what are you gonna do? I will say this: um, you know we're set up for the future, and the window's definitely open, and the awards verify that. Coach of the year for McVay, Defensive Player of the Year for Aaron Donald, Offensive Player of the Year for Todd Gurley. Um, it's hard to disagree with any of them. I don't, I don't have any qualms. I know some people said Doug Peterson, but. You know, take your pick. It's not as if what McVay accomplished, as young as he is, this uh, new young team, the fact that uh, from where they were coming from in 2016, as if that wasn't a big enough, you know, difference either. So, Yeah, absolutely. And I I, I would have been okay with Doug Peterson getting it because you look at what he's done sure. um, with that team. It's, it's really impressive that you're talking about a second-year coach as opposed to a first-year coach. So it's not like he's this savvy veteran or, you know, a coach that's um, with a new team but has prior head coaching experience. No, this is his first run, it's his first go at it, and he's killing it. <laughs> Obviously, he just won the Super Bowl, you know. So Bowl, yeah. I, I, I would have been okay with either one. I think uh, – I still do think Sean McVay was the right choice, not homerism or anything like that, but just because of the the amazing turnaround that he had in year one. Uh, that's the the huge difference, you know. Um, you look at year one for Doug Peterson; they went they won six games, which was a turnaround. You definitely could see the improvement, see them kind of on the horizon. I think what you saw from the Eagles last year was kind of the expectation of the Rams this year. You know, six seven games maybe, or where you see that you see that the turnaround is there. You see it's on the horizon, but they kind of did it all in one smooth move. And I think that was the the difference that really won him the award. But like you said, Todd Gurley. Different story. <laughs> uh, one thing, let me ask you this question. So with Todd Gurley, uh, obviously, you know, he gets Offensive Player of the Year. He gets the FedEx Ground Player of the Year. Uh, but when it comes to MVP, um, I personally thought he should have got MVP. And here's why. When you look at the most valuable player award, it's obviously who's the most valuable to that team. With Todd Gurley, um, whenever he did not get those 20 carries, that's when the team struggled. Um you also look at the production that he was able to put put together. Uh, you look at the look at Le'Veon Bell, for example. You look at the amount of touches he had. You, uh, you look at um, 
uh, uh, his name slipping my slipping my mind. Chiefs running back, the rookie. So, <laughs> so uh, you look. Oh, you talking about Kareem Hunt? Kareem Hunt. <laughs> you look at the uh, touches that he had. Um, Todd Gurley absolutely annihilated them with less touches if you're going by uh, yards per touch. Um, and he didn't even play as many minutes <laughs> throughout the season as they did because the Rams blew out so many teams on four or five separate occasions. He was pulled either halfway through the third or the entire fourth quarter, one or the other, and then he completely missed the last game. Um, you're talking about somebody missing about two games <laughs> if you're to break it down as far as by quarters. You know, someone has missed about, about, about two games and – and missing two games and still putting forth those type of numbers, it's pretty impressive. Uh, I, I definitely think that it would it would have made sense for him to get it, but it is a quarterback's league. So, what did you think as far as Tom Brady getting it? Did you feel that Tom Brady was deserving? Because I feel like he got it because of his age. Part of that, I mean, I'd say he's deserving. He had a fine season, took his team to the Super Bowl. I mean, obviously the, the award was but given it's before it's the Super a regular Bowl. Season he threw, award, though. <laughs> and, uh, he threw for 500 yards in the Super Bowl and lost. I love this damn sport. Um, <laughs> I, I thought he was fine to to win it. I was disappointed because I, I think it would have been cool for Todd Gurley to win MVP, given every the different ways that he affected games. Obviously, as a running back, but also mm. as a receiving threat. I think the bigger takeaway is why Tom Brady won. And part of it is you know age, but it's it's really just about what Tom Brady represents and who's doing the voting. And I think that's one thing we get wrong a lot of the time. You saw a piece today from uh, Bleacher Report, Dan Pompey, that uh, uh, looked back with fondness on the person that Jeff Fisher was. It's an interesting piece. I don't know if you saw it. But it was one of those things where at the end you realize that he's not looking at it from a football perspective. He's looking at it from the, the, the perspective of the person, and I think a lot of times that's what happens with MVP votes or with Hall of Fame votes, like when we talk about Terrell Owens, is that you're talking about a media class and a committee that doesn't line up with people of our age. Uh, and we're, we're running out of time to call ourselves young, Myson, but when you compare us to the older, whiter NFL, and I'm, I mean whiter with a T, not W-I-D-E-R in terms of being wide, uh, committees that make these kind of votes, there's a kind of NFL that they are connected to and have been connected to for 40 years. And as we usher in the new era, that is going to go away. And we'll see players like Todd Gurley and more dynamic players that don't fit the NFL mold start getting the awards that guys like Tom Brady and Peyton Manning uh, have gotten for years. And it's just one of those things where I think uh, – as as quickly as the game has sped up, the committees that gauge the game are still, uh, you know, yeah. What, what do you expect? Sixty five. You expect sixty five year old white guys not to love Tom Brady? Come on. <laughs> what I just heard was, I'm Joe right now. Basically, guys, <laughs> I'm waiting for all these old white guys to die off this <laughs> voting. Pretty much. And then we should. Pretty much. Hey, you said it, not me. <laughs> <laughs> But no, I, I I agree with you. There there is a they don't uh, have to that they could retire. They could they could they could move on to other careers. They could become <laughs> hockey writers. There's all kinds yeah. of other things that they could do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I, I I definitely agree with you. Um, I do think that there is kind of this 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 sense just ingrained into their heads of this is how we've done it for 
however yep. long, <laughs> and it yep. doesn't it doesn't fit with today's mold, today's athlete. Like a lot of the athletes are being so overlooked. Like we we are passing like passing up on some really special players. Another player who could have easily won and and I think would have been fair is Antonio Brown. I mean. The guy didn't even play the last sure. two or three weeks, and he still led the league in in receiving yards. Yeah. You know, it's it's impressive to see what some of these guys do, and you know, uh, they essentially go unnoticed for, unrewarded for their efforts, unless you have to be a quarterback, and more particularly, as you said, a white quarterback, because those are the guys who are cashed out with really no hesitation um, when it's yeah. time for contracts. They get it. When it's time for MVP, they get it. Um, whereas there's a hesitation with everyone else. So it's really, a, it's really, really kind of an unfair sort of situation. As you mentioned, the Hall of Fame, I don't care who you are, there's no person alive that can truly justify Terrell Owens not being a first ballot Hall of Famer. I'm, me, for one, I got to tell you, I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned that. I am so looking forward to his Hall of Fame speech. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I cannot wait oh, yeah. for it. <laughs> August or Randy Moses. <laughs> He's going to lay into some people. You just know it, right? It'll be great. Here's, here's the one thing I'd say about the Hall of Fame is that you're starting to get a sense of it now with Randy Moss, Isaac Bruce, and Terrell Owens all creating this logjam is that the game changed, but we haven't really changed how we think about Hall of Famers. And so you've got Tom Brady throwing for 500 yards at a Super Bowl and losing. The kinds of career lists that we're going to have for quarterbacks and wide receivers in a positive way and running backs in a negative way are going to change moving forward. So you, you're just not going to have the, the running back output that we had 15, 20 years ago. The game's different. The rules are different. The entire structure is different. And because of that, you're going to have to look at things differently unless you want to put six quarterbacks from this, this era as it comes to a close in the Hall of Fame because Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Philip Rivers are all going to have numbers that stack up with Hall of Fame quarterbacks. I don't have a problem with putting them in, but at some point we have to look at it and say, okay, are we going to put Matt Stafford in the Hall of Fame because he ends up in the top 10 of all-time passing yards, right? Or, or think about running backs. You're not going to have anybody getting Jamal Lewis-type numbers anymore because nobody gets that much work. And, and for the one person who does in the NFL – Think, think about what that means moving forward in terms of how we gauge the Hall of Fame. And I think that's just one of those things that I took away from the Super Bowl and that we're, we're starting to see with wide receivers now is that coming into this age where the rules are changed and things have made it much easier for offenses to pass the ball in the NFL, Hall of Fame voting is going to get very different and it's going to come down to that same kind of committee that we're talking about who, who's coming from the old era that's being uh, uh, required and authorized to a judge the new era. The good thing is, though, moving forward, for what we get to deal with on the field, we don't just have to look back at good times. We got some good times ahead of us, man. This team looking pretty strong. Ninth, ninth in the ESPN two early power rankings. We got free agency coming up. Let let me go ahead and read. I got them right here. These are the free agents we got coming up. We got for unrestricted free agents. Connor, I'm doing these alphabetically. Connor Barwin, Derek Carrier, Cody Davis, Lance Dunbar, Dominic Easley. Here's where it gets fun. Trumaine Johnson, your starting number one overall cornerback. LaMarcus Joyner, starting safety. Cornelius Lucas, Jake McQuaid, Nikkel Roby Coleman, your slot corner. John Sullivan, starting center. Tyron Walker and Sammy Watkins, your number one wide receiver. That's a tough, okay. tough group. And then even beyond that, when you talk about restricted free agents, Malcolm Brown, backup running back. Troy Hill, 
who played some really good ball at cornerback at the end of the season, Matt Longacre, who put in great work uh, covering behind Robert Quinn and Connor Barwin, Bradley Marquez, Daryl Williams, and then Zach Lasky is the only exclusive rights free agent. That's a long list of free agents. I'm glad we get to deal with these before the draft because that's a tough road to hoe. What do you think about the free agents? Well, you know, it's 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 an interesting list because there's so many um, key players in there. You know, guys who started a lot of games over the past couple of years, a lot, um, who really carved out a role. It's it's going to be hard to really kind of guess who's going to be brought back and who's not because there's so much value there. It's hard to separate who who's the top priority, who isn't. Um, when I look at the list, my number one is going to continue to be the same, and it's LaMarcus Joyner. I think LaMarcus Joyner has to be brought back. There's no if, ands, or buts about it. <laughs> you know, I think that's the number one person you have to bring back. And then from there, I'm still sticking with it. I say Tremaine Johnson before you worry about a um, a Sammy Watkins. Tremaine Johnson, and cause I, for, for multiple reasons, I think it's easier to find a receiver than it is a cornerback. Um, also, yeah. Sammy Watkins really hasn't lived up to his draft status to this point. Right. Um, he hasn't really produced in any year over the last four years on that level. Um, it just hasn't been there. You really haven't seen him dominate, truly dominate any game the way that Antonio Brown has or, or Julio Jones or A.J. Green. Like sure. the top receivers, Odell Beckham Jr., like they've all gone out and had – a dominant game, obviously more than one. That's what makes them a top receiver. They've all gone out and had a dominant game. You get to see him have that truly dominant, just kill you in every way, every level of the field, take over the game game, um, which makes me, and, you know, even if you're not doing it on that level, I haven't even seen him outdo Kelvin Benjamin, <laughs> you know, where it's just, you know, he's not flashy, nothing like that, but just consistent, move the chain, going to get you touchdowns. He's not better than Mike Evans or, you know, even Dez Bryant, you know, and I'm Dez Bryant is a drop king. <laughs> but I just haven't seen that level of production from him. So how can I put him above a position that's harder to replace than a receiver if he hasn't proven to be worth it? Um, so I, I definitely think that when you're looking at just who are key guys to resign, I definitely think it's LaMarcus Jordan and Tremaine Johnson. Um, then I might start looking at uh, talking about a deal with Sammy Watkins. Um, I wouldn't, but I'm not crazy about diving into it to the point that you overpaid. Uh, one player I think that could be brought back for cheap and would be a great re-signing and a sneaky re-signing is uh, Dominique Easley. Um, I think yeah. he, because of the injury, I think it would make it easier to get him brought back. And he's such a good player. He was so impactful in his first year. I think that uh, that would be under-the-radar, really, really good re-signing. What about you? What are you looking at? I think the biggest thing I'm looking at is is trying to – and there's no way to figure it out because the NFL does, is such a good uh, environment for keeping a lid on this stuff is who they're going to get for replacements, right? This last year, everything was open because you're coming off a 4-12 and season. The offense was horrendous. So anything, you know, the grass is always greener, but it's, uh, it's obviously actually green when you're the worst offense in the league. And so no matter who we brought in, things were going to work. I think that the thing about replacing Trumaine Johnson or replacing Sammy Watkins, I'm fine replacing either, but you got to get a replacement, right? You, you go back to when we lost Janoris Jenkins and we didn't get a replacement. Um, and, and go back a year ago, 
the majority of Rams fans, I'd argue, were quite vocal about the fact that they did not want Les Need as the general manager of this team moving forward. Then we had a near perfect <laughs> off season, and oh, how the tables have turned, right? And so it's one of those things where I, I want us to have as successful an off season as we had last year, but the track record since 2012 isn't great, uh, especially with free agency. And then secondly, we don't have a ton of capital in the draft. We don't have a second round pick. Um, pretty short class to deal with overall. Don't have the buffer of trades that we had some previous years. Um, so it's not as if we can say, oh, if we lose Sammy Watkins and Truman Johnson, we can just fill it with draft picks. Uh, you can't really do that this year. You might be able to do it over multiple years, but at that point you got other needs that are going to pop up. The, the tough thing is, remember a couple of years ago, we almost lost Roger Saffold. Remember he signed that deal with the Oakland Raiders? Right. They voided it based on medical, and he came back. The fact that he came back meant the Rams were willing to sign him, and they had an offer on the table that he didn't accept. And so what, I, what I'm worried about most is whether it's Truman Johnson or LaMarcus Joyner, obviously, or Sammy Watkins or Nickel Roby Coleman or anybody else that's from that starting group that they want to bring back, that if they put an offer on the table, that guy needs to stay. If, if their plan is we want to make Truman Johnson a corner for the Rams in 2018, he better damn well be a corner in 2018. Otherwise, you get too close to March 12th, 13th, 14th, and your plan B isn't, isn't as solid as if they say we're going to move on and they've been working on whoever the replacement is for the, starting a, a week ago, a month ago, whatever it is. That's what I'm worried about most, especially because this is the same general manager of Les Need who two years at the Combine said re-signing the members of the secondary was priority A. Three of those guys are no longer Rams, and the fourth is Trumaine Johnson. So none of them have been signed to, a, signed to a long-term deal. I'd be worried if we get into the Combine press conference and we hear that, oh, re-signing guy X is I, – I, I guarantee he won't say priority A. He won't use that term, but, you know, <laughs> even the idea that he could say re-signing LaMarcus Joyner is our highest priority, well, when, it's been, when we've had high priorities in the past, they haven't worked out great. And as much as we could say, hey, you know, you want to go offer, what, $12 million? Uh, 11 million for your safety. If somebody comes in and drops 14 and a half, and it's uh, you know a good situation for him, and it's a competitive team, he might bolt. And then what? What are you going to do? And so that's my biggest thing is, uh, you know, I'm down to re-sign these guys, and obviously based on this last season, they've earned a lot of trust that this uh, this franchise didn't have for a long time. But uh, should we lose anybody, I hope we got something lined up because March 14th is coming quick. Absolutely. And real quick, I do think that uh, Tremaine Johnson is going to be intri- going to be willing to listen to listen to a uh, home uh, listen to a hometown discount because if one thing that I think he he said and I think he backed up is that he loves playing for the Rams. I don't think he's really interested in leaving if he doesn't have to. So you know, if the if the home down discount isn't too much of a kick in the nads, I think that he'd be interested in, in listening to that and entertaining that idea. But that's all come here the only the only thing I'd say is that they've tagged him twice in a row, right? And they, they've had the yeah. opportunity to sign him. His play hasn't changed. I could understand the first tag, if only because you wanted to see how he would play without Janoris Jenkins across yeah. from him. But yeah. we've seen it, and it's been fine. J- Trumaine Johnson isn't the reason we lost the playoff game. He wasn't the reason we went 4-12. and 12. He's earned a big-ass contract as a starting cornerback in the NFL. And, but they've had the opportunity to give it to him. And so I, I just don't know. They're obviously at impasse. And the fa- yeah, and the fact that it's existed this long, I don't know 
how they get over it at this point, but maybe just the sheer pressure of impending free agency is enough to get them to a place where they can make a deal. I know it's going to be interesting to see how they shake this all up. Leslie worked magic last year. He he really put together a good team, and he put together he uh, got a great hire in, in Sean McVay, and that we get get him a great staff. Pretty much got everybody that he wanted. So you know it's going to be interesting to see if he can have those back to back great off seasons and uh, what what he's going to be able to do with it. But that's all going to tell. It's all going to come to fruition in the coming weeks. We're going to see how that all shakes out and. In doing so, you know, we, we, we get to put a cap on the season. Uh, that's the, the season ends, is it March 8th, I think? Um, the, the the first day of the new year, excuse me. So then March 7th is the last day of this season. And, well, then, you know what happens from there. We are on to free agency. <laughs> but before we get to free agency, we get our combine in. And I'm looking forward to the combine personally. Like, absolutely looking forward to it because – there's so many interesting storylines to this year's combine, and, and I know I mentioned to you before my favorite one is Shaquem Griffin. Um, this is somebody who uh, I, I found out personally about last year uh, when I was looking at tape on his brother, and in looking at tape on his brother, you know, you see flashes of him popping up on the screen as they both went to UCF, and then that's when I found out that this was the guy who was named the the player of the year for the conference <laughs> it's the, the the Shaquem Griffin you know the guy that's not entering the draft and that's when I realized the reason he wasn't entering the draft is because of his birth defect with his hand and I I, I really love his story but not just his story I love his tape if it's not for his hands even at 6'1 230 pounds you know he's a smaller edge rusher he's an outside linebacker that gets after you if not for his hand, even at 6'1", 230 pounds, I have a very hard time seeing this guy not being rated as a top 50 prospect on every board out because he's so explosive off the edge. He's so fast. He just knocks out effort. Just the hustle, the, the, the hustle and the motor is next level. And, and you know, you look at it and you say, well, his hand is probably that thing that drives him. You know, being able, let me go out here and show everyone that they're wrong. And so it's it's almost like a uh, uh, catch twenty two. You know you have uh, you have this player with this defect, but that defect is probably is the very thing that drives him to be the player that he is. And so I'm definitely looking forward to the combine to see how he does, uh, not just with workouts but with interviews, and because those interviews are so telling. A lot of skeletons come out the closet with players. Uh, you learn so much about the players just from the way they talk. There's a lot of media going on. Um, I thought he had a great senior bowl week. Um, that's 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 one player that I'm looking forward to out of many. What about you? What are you looking forward to? I'm just looking forward to seeing how they make the combine better. I mean, there's so many flaws in it. Uh, th- this is the premier event to get your best prospects together and test them for the NFL, right? Uh, the t- still, the two most valuable parts of the combine are the medical check and the interview portion where the teams get to sit down with these guys and talk to them individually. Uh, there's also the value that's not related to the prospects of what we saw kind of manifested with the number one overall trade with the Titans when the Rams and the Titans had uh, neighboring offices at Lucas Oil Stadium is that you get all these teams together in one place, head coaches, GMs, front offices, and coaching staffs. And so you can have less need talking to, you know, GMs from around the league to gauge who they like on their squad, who they don't like, who they like in the upcoming draft, you know, what kind of deals they need to be prepared to make based on, you know, if Les Need likes 
this season. Let's say he likes Griffith, and you know that that prospect looks like he's not going to drop beyond twenty. And the, you know who I forget who has the twentieth overall pick can holler at Snead and say, "Look, I know you like this guy. Do you want to move up?" That kind of thing. A lot of times, the combine is the uh, uh, the opening for guys yeah. to start having those discussions across teams to be able to know, kind of like the ultimate spy master kind of thing, right? So that you know, yeah. okay, here's who likes who, and uh, kind of set the battlefield. But usually, every two years, we see some technical improvements to the combine. Uh, you know, the implementation of different technology that helps us understand the testing better. I would like to see the testing change, maybe add a couple different uh, workouts or exercises, things like that. Uh, I'd love to see 10 and 20 yard splits as presentable as 40 yard times. Um, But we'll see. It's one of those things that I know they're working at every year. And obviously when they start changing location, it's going to be more and more of a spectacle. That's part of what it is now is just to see how do these guys deal with the spectacle of, you know, the full NFL on display. This isn't just, you know, take, uh, you know, Sam Darnold played at the huge stage at USC, Rose Bowl. He's dealt with media before, but he just hasn't dealt with the spectacle and the silliness of the spectacle of the NFL. And you definitely get some of that silliness at the NFL combine, both from the media, but also from the teams. You, you've seen some of these famous questions that they ask. They really want to get into these guys' heads and yeah. figure out, you know, when they break down, who are they? Because these are guys that you're going to be invested millions of dollars in, especially if they work out on the field, tens of millions of dollars in over the next couple of years. And you got to make sure you get the right guy, and that's part of what starts at the combine. So let me ask you this. Regardless of position, not necessarily asking for the rims, who is your favorite player to be entering this year's draft? Who, What players Overall, out there – what player out there just grabbed Joe's attention last this past off season or this past football season, used football season before, whenever. Can't be from North yeah. Texas. <laughs> but Oh, come on, Jeffrey Wilson. Come on, baby. <laughs> Jeffrey Wilson got his combine invite. <laughs> <laughs> what player grabbed your attention that you that you want to see him in the NFL and see how he does? It's Minka Fitzpatrick. I mean, he's the obvious one. Minka Fitzpatrick, to me, is the easiest pick. Him or Quentin Nelson, the interior lineman from Notre Dame. The the problem is they're just limited in what kinds of positions they can play. So, you know, Minka Fitzpatrick doesn't rush the quarterback. He's not a wide receiver. He's not a quarterback. He's a guy that you got to put at the back of your defense. Maybe you can slide him over to cornerback, um, but he's obviously going to be an NFL player for a long time. There, I have less questions about him than anybody else. Nelson would be second, and then maybe uh, Saquon Barkley would be third. Uh, great players, but it's one of those things. And there's a reason why you see Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen going one-two in most mock drafts. It's because their position is just too damn important. Um, and yeah. that's really, you know, one of those things that we'll get to see at the combine. How do these guys look? It's not as easy as just seeing them throw to wide receivers they've never thrown before, right? Obviously, right, you're going right. to have issues there. But you just get to see them go through the motions and see what kind of a guy they are and get a feel for the personality and get them away from their comfort zone, from the wide receivers that they have worked with for years and see, you know, okay, when you put him in a lab uh, or on a practice field with an NFL roster, how are they going to start to adjust? Are they going to take command? and Are they going to move forward? That's the thing about the quarterbacks. But overall, for me, it's Minka Fitzpatrick. Who, who's, if you had a big board that doesn't necessarily lean into position value, who's your number one? Um. Position value aside, it's Baker Mayfield. I just love the guy. I love his his wow. energy, the passion that he brings when he plays the game. Um, I like his feistiness. You know, uh, I, I hate mm-hmm. the fact that he gets compared to Johnny Menzel, but I know that it's got to sure. do with the DUI that he got 
you know, two years ago. Yep. But he, I love, I love the, the his feistiness on the field. You know, you you go back, you look at the KU game, the trash talking, the crotch grabbing, all that stuff. Like, I like that. I like that he's a quarterback, but he brings that type of fire. And I think that's part of the reason why he's looked at as such a good leader because his teammates see that. And while the media look at it and point a finger, his teammates are like, "This is a guy we can get behind." You know. You have um, you have the old school sort of approach like the Tom Brady's of the world, um, where they're not going to be doing the cross grabbing, but you know Tom Brady's like that surprising tough guy. You know, like he doesn't really back down from anyone on the field. And then you have you know that the the Peyton Manning type who never really was a tough guy, really chill, laid back, probably going to crack a joke with somebody on the field. You know, but then there's then there's this new wave pretty much of these younger quarterbacks of this generation where they're just one of the guys, <laughs> you know, and I think that's kind of the best way to describe Baker Mayfield. But then you look at him on the field and do just balls out, you know, just a winner. And I, I really, I love his story. Like I said, there's a quite a few stories that I'm really like going into this year's combine. And his is one of them, you know, just this walk on kid attacking. <laughs> he makes the squad, loses his spot, transfers, go be the star somewhere else. Like, it just shows the resiliency. I mean, that resiliency, you know, you need it at the NFL level. You have to have that. Let, let me ask you this, though. Let me ask you this: Baker Mayfield, walk on at Texas Tech, star in Norman, Oklahoma. Would you have yeah. any worries if you were the general manager of the New York Jets, making Baker Mayfield your quarterback in a city like New York? No, I think that um, when you look at the the season things like that where they say, oh, well, you know, do you want to bring this player into this this type of environment? <laughs> you know, there, there's so much to do. There's so much to get in trouble with. I, I, I don't really worry about it too much. You know, if, to be perfectly honest, the players who have been in – who's had those labels of, oh, do you want to bring him here or bring him there, those players, when they end up in those cities, they don't really have the track record of players in the places that don't have as much to do. And I think – realistically, that's usually when people do stupid stuff when they don't have anything to do. <laughs> Boredom is a hell of a drug, you know, so I'm not really yeah. too worried about it. And besides that, I don't think that he's a, a troublemaker. I don't think that he's a kid that's going to get into a lot of trouble no matter what city yeah. he's in. You know, like the, right. the media, they love to hold things over your head. And he really hasn't been in any sort of trouble. Like he, the, 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 the being sent, the sat down on the bench thing, because he grabbed his crotch talking trash to a player who was talking trash to him and reminds you, he didn't start that. They didn't shake. They refused to shake his hand at the court. Talk. At the talk. Talking trash. Yep. They were chippy after plays. You know, they were really, they were really coming at him, you know, and all he did was grab his crotch and start talking trash back. I'm okay with that. I want to see my quarterback not back down and quiver at guys who, who come at him. I want, I want a guy who, who, who doesn't look for his lineman to, to have his back, who knows they're going to have his back, but it's like, hey, I'm standing on my own two feet as well. Like, I want that guy. I want that feistiness. I want that, that attitude, that drive. That is different from what, like you said, that old that old 65-year-old white guy mentality. That's the, those are ones who drive the narrative of bad guy, good guy. Yeah. And I, I don't think he is. I just don't see the, the Menzel comparisons or anything like that. I, I don't see it. And on top of that, he, on top of all of that, he's a really good player. You know, he's, he's, he's just a really good player. And I, I, I definitely look forward to seeing him in the NFL. I want to see what he does. But it's interesting you I said will the put, Jets. Because I, the Jets I was, was going to say, 
Yeah, no, I was going to say this. Throw this on your calendar. Thursday, March 1st, the quarterbacks get measured. Baker Mayfield's height is going to be a very, maybe the most important measurement of the combine. Yeah. Real quick, I'm going to say this before we uh, get on to National Signing Day. I think, and I, th- I think about this every single year. I kid you not, for probably the last 10 years, <laughs> the height thing with quarterbacks is so overrated. Let me tell you why. People say, oh, Drew Brees is, a, is an exception, or Russell Wilson is an exception. No, it's a numbers game, okay? The vast majority of quarterbacks that come into the NFL fail, just like every other position. You know, so let's just say that you have 80% of quarterbacks that come in fail. 80 85%, they fail, all right, regardless of how tall they are, when the majority of them are all 6'2 and taller. You know, the average quarterback, I think, is 6'3". Um, and they all fail. So if the, if the position itself is hard to adapt, it's the hardest position and probably all of sports to adapt at the highest level. Um, if, that, if that's the case, and you're talking about all these guys who's, oh, they're 6'3", and they run a 4'5", and they, they do all these amazing things, their arm is so strong, but they still fail. Why is there an expectation for shorter quarterbacks who, who there's not as many? That's why I say it's a numbers game. If you have 100 guys who's 6'3 or taller come in, come in and, you know, you get – and 85% are going to fail, obviously you're going to have more guys, you know, if you're going by that and you have 100, uh, you know, you, you don't have 100 guys that's six feet or shorter, you know, six one or shorter, you only have 10 of those guys. And you're talking about an 80 for 85%. You're going to have one guy out of the whole 15 that's going to succeed, but there's not yep. 15 that comes up every year, you know, because usually they make them switch positions. So nothing to do with their height. It's just – they fail just like the bigger quarterbacks fail. The height has nothing to do with it. And that's why I think it's just so ridiculously overrated. If you can play, you can play. It's that simple. I get so sick of talking about the prototype receiver. There is no such thing as a prototype receiver. Kiss my ass. It's not. <laughs> if there's a prototype receiver, how do you explain an Antonio Brown, a, a, a Golden Tate, a, a Steve Smith? Like, these guys shouldn't exist. Uh, Odell Beckham isn't even six foot. He's by height. <laughs> I'm five eleven. Odell Beckham is even six foot. You know, so it's, I, I just get tired of hearing these narratives of how big a player has to be and things like that. It's either you can ball or you can't. Just that simple. Well, now I know what I'm so, rooting for. I'm rooting for Josh Allen to measure out at six foot five, so we can talk about his height on Tisha Radio. I got enough talking. I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you. Kiss my ass. <laughs> Swiftly <laughs> with a mean mug on my face, <laughs> but Joe, what you got for us on National Signing Day? Today was a, a an interesting day with that. Um, did you see? Did you see uh, Copeland and his mom? So sad. So she that this, that was one of those things where the seedy side of college football was so obvious. It was so obvious that for those of y'all that didn't see, this is a prospect that was choosing between Alabama, Tennessee, and Florida. Uh, and he had the whole three hats in front of him. His mother was wearing Alabama and Tennessee gear and not Florida gear. And the clear implication was that whatever Alabama and Tennessee had promised her in the form of some kind of gifts, either uh, cash or otherwise, uh, Florida had come below the bar in terms of what they had promised for a Christmas gift. And lo and behold, he picked Florida, and Mama got her purse and walked the hell off the stage she, and it, it was, was sad. so it was it felt so bad for the kid and, it was and you could see him it you was. could see him fighting holding back the tears like 
how do you live that down? His teammates, his future teammates, they all saw that. Like, so, so it was it was terrible. She came. His name is, I will his say his this. She came back. Yeah. I don't care. Everyone keeps telling me she I came know. back, and it's like I keep telling everyone I don't give a damn if <laughs> she came back. <laughs> it it doesn't change how selfish she was in that moment. In the so, moment, you're talking about you're talking about <laughs> your son. Your son just got accepted, got a full ride into one of the top colleges in the country. <laughs> one of the absolute top in the country got a full ride, and you're mad. So mad that you walk on the stage. I don't know. See, here's the thing. You know I'm petty, she didn't so just I thought it was hilarious. She around the table and walked back <laughs> past in front of the camera. Got a purse. <laughs> she got a purse. <laughs> yeah. That's so I was laughing my ass off. It was sad. It was sad, but, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, the good thing is when we see stuff like this, we all learn from it. National Signing Day learns from it. College football learns from it. And hopefully uh, they'll grow from it and get something out of it. I will say this. It was an interesting day. Um I think the the biggest takeaway I got maybe is, you know, Georgia because they're now in that tier with Clemson, Ohio State, and Alabama. Uh, most people had them as the top overall class. And some, I, don't, I know SB Nation had one metric that said it was pretty much the second best class of all time. They're up there. They've stacked themselves. I mean, obviously coming out of the season that they just had, you could understand why uh, people are hyped about the Bulldogs moving forward. Um, but they are set up, man. They got a hell of a team. Uh, I, I guess the other one that I don't, I don't know that they're slipping yet, but this is the first time Alabama finished out the top three. I think they said in the last 11 years. And so we're talking about a new era in the NFL. I do wonder if this leaves the window open. Should Alabama look, they were damn close to missing out on the playoffs this year. Obviously they ended up winning the national championship, but had they missed out, <laughs> maybe, maybe. And it's one of those things. Now I will say this, they got Patrick Sertan jr. I'm sure people our age remember Pat Sertan in the NFL. His son was a huge land for them today. I thought he was going to end up going to LSU. Had he done that, I don't know that Alabama would have finished in the top eight. Um, but they ended up getting them another strong class. I mean, you got the sixth class in the country. It's not as if, you know, they're hurting or anything. But uh, yeah. it is one of those things where they slipped a little bit. Um, and we'll just see. I mean, there's no real surprising programs among the top 20. Um, it's all programs that you expect to be in that mix. Maybe the one that benefited the most was UCLA. They had a nice finish to the class. They need to get their act together, obviously, with Chip Kelly. Um, there's a window for them based on how USC's played. They didn't have a huge class. They only had a couple prospects, but they finished strong today on National Signing Day. Um, and with Sam Darnold leaving, I think there's a window for UCLA to be able to compete. They got a big quarterback coming in, number two dual-threat quarterback in the country. Um, we'll see. We'll see what they do. But if they can put it all together uh, with Dorian Thompson Robinson as the new quarterback, Chip Kelly as head coach, they'd be really interesting. I thought they had a good class. Yeah, I, I definitely thought it was interesting because it was such a huge deal. All you, all you heard everyone talking about was uh, Alabama not not having the number one or two recruiting class, which I think is right. I think that speaks volumes because the people have become so accustomed to them having the best, but. It's gonna yep. be it's gonna be an interesting football season. It's uh an interesting college season coming up. We have a uh, a whole new wave of players going to Georgia and and Clemson. Like they they're kind of making their their marks college football landscape. So I'm definitely looking forward to it. I know you're looking forward to it. Uh, more so, I'm looking forward to this this off season, seeing how this off season goes and how, how much how better the Rams can get 
and just how much better a lot of things can get. Looking forward to the uh, combine coming up here. But that's all we got for tonight. Going to try to get another show in this week. Uh, make sure that you are following the sh- uh, site at Turf Show Times, as well as follow myself at Mighty and or Myson. And I guess if you really want to, if you're bored enough, you can follow this guy, uh, Joseph 3K. He likes to go by 3K underscore on Twitter if you're into that type of stuff. I, but don't blame me for anything you see there. <laughs> so I'll get squeaked. We'll holler at you later. Is off. The Rams get down so nobody scores. And don't you worry, cause the Rams are rapping. When game time comes, we'll be back to that. We can't sing and our dance is not pretty, but we'll do our best for the team and the city. So get on your feet and clap your hands. Let's ram it right now with the LA Rams. Hollywood Hanson, Dodge City Tough. If you throw it my way, it's gonna get rough. I like to ram it, as you can see. Nobody likes ramming any more than me. They call me Jeter. Nobody dresses sweeter. But under this cool is a quarterback mistreater. I come from the end, looking for the sacks. I don't stop coming till I put them on the back. This limousine with it, my moves are like dreams. They call me the demon on special team. I know how to rock from the toes to the head. When I pull the trigger, I'll knock you dead. I'm a mountain man from West VA. They call me Herc and I came to play. I learned long ago to ram it just right. You can ram it all day and ram it all night. Ram it. Hello, you're listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of The Polygon Show. 
It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play. Brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday, we bring you a new hour of personal stories. Like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0. Or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening.